Dear Father, we pray that as we, as we speak from your word, that you would do what you have promised, which is to bless your people and to invite those into your family uh, who haven't yet had their sins forgiven, who don't know your son, Jesus Christ, yet. So we pray, Father, will you bless us now? Amen. So, do you miss them? You've just seen them. They maybe have gone home again. The embarrassing people in your family that you have seen. Who are they for you? I wonder. If you don't know who they are, guess what? <laughs> You're it. That's you. Yes. All of us have got embarrassing family members. People whose stories we would rather... You just didn't know. Other people didn't know. I told you once about my uncle who uh, got drunk, tried to kiss the other drunk uncle in the mouth, succeeded. The other uncle proceeded to try and uh, find him so they could punch him in the mouth. Uh, he'd never really managed because they were both drunk and they couldn't run very far. But that's not what I, the first thing I would want you to know about my family. I could tell you lots of other things I wouldn't want you to know about my family. And yet, amazingly, Matthew, the writer of the Gospel of Matthew, a Greco-Roman biography of the Lord Jesus Christ, decides to start his Gospel this way. So many other ways he could have engaged our minds. So many other ways that he could have prevented us from being able to say to people who are new to the faith, hey, do you want to start somewhere? Start with the Gospel of Matthew only to find that they will die on this hill, okay? That they will die crawling past Zerubbabel. By the way, Julie, fantastic job today. But we're going to find that here we are encouraged because in Jesus' family tree, there are saints and sinners. Saints in the sense of those who are blameless in Old Testament terms, but those who are known for their sin, like sinners and tax collectors um, in New Testament terms. There's male and female, there are Jews and Gentiles. And all of them, but particularly the people that we're going to talk about, had longings that are fulfilled in the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. So I think we're invited here to go into 2024 knowing that if we long for, for example, justice, security, safety, redemption, healing... If we put our trust in Jesus, those longings are fulfilled in Jesus. So, very quickly, see if you can find the women in Jesus' family tree in Matthew chapter 1 and tell the person next to you. Go. 20 seconds. Seven seconds for you. Three, two, one. Okay. The first woman we find is? Absolutely, Tamar. So we've got Tamar in there. She is in verse 3. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. If, if you've ever experienced an injustice in your life... I wonder, how desperate did you get? In terms of what action did you take? 
in the face of that injustice. For some of us here this morning, the only or the biggest injustice we have had to face is that daddy decided to spend 300 pounds on the older sibling and not on me. Maybe that was your injustice, okay? If that's your story, please know that I, don't, I haven't been told this, okay? Maybe one more serious injustice is happening in the world where people who right now have lost their homes because of the evil motives of others. Well, Tamar's story is a story where there is injustice, and she longs for justice, but it's also a story filled with embarrassment. You found her there in Matthew chapter 1, verse 3. Her Old Testament uh, passage is Genesis chapter 38. And you can have that open on your lap if you want to follow, follow, on, follow along. But it comes as a little pause between the story of Joseph that we do like. Story of Joseph, Sunday school, yes. Yes, story of Tamar, Sunday school, no. No. Too many gross and evil details, okay? And the word prostitute is going to come up a few times this morning. That's a word that you can ask mommy and daddy, preferably granny and grandpa, what it means, okay? I will give you a simpler definition this morning. Um, for the benefit of those at home, that's because we have the kids in throughout the morning service. I, w- I would do Genesis 38 in a Sunday school lesson. But kids, tell me this. What is your biggest dream? Okay? Particularly girls, what is your biggest dream? I'm going to give it to you right now. Here is your biggest dream. To have lots of babies. Yes? Your biggest dream, have up with this. Some of you are shaking vigorously, the girls. <laughs> if you had been brought up in the ancient Near East at the time of Genesis, that would have been your biggest dream. Because that was the culture. That's what people did. That's how little girls were brought up. That's how Tamar, from our story, was brought up. Now, Judah was one of the sons of Jacob, uh, to be one of the fathers of the tribes of Israel. Wow, 12 of them, right? Unfortunately, in Genesis 38, chapter 2, he made a horrible decision to marry someone who didn't trust the God of Israel, a woman called Shua, a Canaanite, they had three sons, which yay for sons, because you don't want daughters. They're rubbish in, in the Bible. In the, New, in the Old Testament part of the Bible, people weren't very keen to have daughters. But the God of the Bible loves daughters. Okay? And so, they had three sons, Ur, Onan, and Shelah. And Tamar married Ur, which kind of sounds like Ur, doesn't it? Well, it should, because he was an evil dude, and God, God what, children? God killed him. That's right. My goodness, this story is heavy. Uh, New Year's Eve already. Now get this. Because there was no welfare system, if children, if you didn't have children to look after you, you'd be in trouble, right? And so there was this law called leveret marriage, from a Hebrew word for brother-in-law, and it said this in Deuteronomy 25. Her husband's brother, if there's a widow, will take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. So, for example, it's Josiah and Nathan, his brother. Imagine that Nathan got married. But unfortunately, Nathan died because he was evil, let's say. I don't know. Because he had an evil mullet. I don't know. Whatever. If he died, it was Josiah's job to marry his wife 
and have a baby with her so that his name wouldn't be forgotten forever in the nation of Israel. And if you didn't do that, Deuteronomy chapter 25 says that man's line, the man who said no to doing that, is the family of the unsandled. That being the background, Tamar's brother-in-law, Onan, was supposed to do this. But Onan didn't want to do it. Onan just wanted to pretend he was Tamar's wife, uh, husband. He wanted the lovemaking without the responsibility. So because of that, God killed him too. And Judah promised, I have a third son. I will give him to you. Don't worry. But secretly he thought, this woman is bad news. If he marries my other son, she's a black widow. She'll kill him. That was evil too. But just pause for a minute. You can imagine Tamar is worried about her future, is worried about how no one is following the law. She is worried about what's going to happen. And so she just wants justice. She wants what God had designed to happen, for her to have a family and for her children to look after her and for all of them to trust in God. She wants justice and she wants to be safe. Is that a bad thing to want? Is it? No. Is the way she went about it bad? Yeah. We all long for justice, for things to be put right, for the world to be according to God as he designed it. But the rest of the story isn't so great. There's a picture of it in the kids' um, in the kids little booklet. But you know, of all the Bible stories, nobody wants to illustrate Tamar's story. It's just really hard to find, so there was only one picture. So Judah grieves for his sons, and when his grief is past, he decides not to give his third son to Tamar. She sees that he moved on, so she hatches a plan. I'm going to dress up like a prostitute, and I'm going to seduce my father-in-law, convince him, behave like I'm his wife, and then I'll finally get justice. I'll have my family's name continue. So long story short, he slept with her. He forgot his wallet, so couldn't pay. And so he said, here's some collateral. A seal, cord, and a staff. Then he moves on. And by the time he wants to come back and pay her with a goat, Judah says, where's the prostitute that hangs around here? And the guy says, ain't nobody does that job here. Not in this corner. Three months later, he hears Tamar is pregnant. Because he is responsible for the family, he says, let's follow the law, let's burn her to death. And she says, I'm pregnant by the man who owns these things. Oh, I love a good Bible reversal, don't you? He doesn't then say, okay, well, burn me then. No, he doesn't. He says in Genesis 38, 26, she, this woman is more righteous than I am. She is in the right, I am in the wrong. And God has mercy on both of them. Now Tamar got to be a part of the Messiah's family Jesus' family, by pretending to be and behaving as a prostitute, seducing her father-in-law in a search for justice. Her longing was right. The way she went about it was wrong. God turned what was evil into a family where Jesus would come from. If we're going into 2024, longing for justice, justice here is more than getting what you deserve. Because Judah didn't get what he deserved. Tamar didn't get what she deserved. 
Instead, God turned it around and had mercy on them because of what Jesus would do at the cross and at the empty tomb. And so, as Tamar longed for justice, her longing would only be fulfilled when Jesus died on the cross and everybody would get not so much what they deserve, but what they need in Jesus. But let's look at the second person. Who is she? Wow, that was, <laughs> it sounds, son, like someone who was waiting for that question. <laughs> and well done, well done. Um, at home, I'll give you a prize. Um, and Rahab longed for safety, for security. Now, I wonder, children, when you grow up, is there an occupation, is there a job that you would say, I never want that one? What is that job? Anybody? What might that be? Maybe it's daddy's job. Maybe it's mommy's job. I'm looking at some people here who have got, you know, four parents. They've got teachers. Don't want that job. No. You know, some people want doctors. Mm, see a lot of angry people. Don't want that job. You see a lot of ungrateful people. Don't want that job. And there are some people here. That, I could go on. <laughs> you know, what? daddy's an accountant. Ugh. The last job that no matter the culture, even today, is Rahab's job. Anybody would want, whether online or offline today, nobody thinks, yeah, that's great. Rahab pretended to be someone's wife for a living. And she's there in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. Her story is in, her history is in Joshua chapter 2. In the context of God taking his people into a land where they could worship him freely and not have to worry about being persecuted by all the other nations, the promised land. At that time, Joshua sent spies to scout the land and an unlikely person who probably was a temple prostitute. Rahab is the one that helps them. Perhaps one who thinks... One more stranger in my home, one more foreigner in my home. I'm used to that. But because we don't have time, I just want to ask this question. Why did she hide the people of God if she was a Canaanite? And the answer is in Joshua chapter 2, verse 8. Let me read it with you. Before the spies that she was hiding lay down for the night on her roof, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know... That the Lord has given you this land, and a great fear of you has fallen on us, on all the people in Jericho. Verse 10, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og, uh, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. And here is her confession of faith. This is a foreign woman who heard about the God of Israel. She says this, For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. So she says, Spare the lives of my family. She believed. Like the wise men, Rahab heard about the God of Israel from afar, from a different place. And she wanted to trust him for safety. She says, I know that your God's going to do here what he did in Egypt. And I don't want to be on the wrong side. I want to be on the loving side. She believed. She's in Jesus' family tree because that is what Jesus came to do. 
God so loved the world that he gave his son so that whoever would believe in him can hide in his love from the judgment of God. And instead of judgment, they receive love, compassion, mercy. And just like Christians express their faith in Jesus with their actions, Rahab tied a scarlet cord on her window so that in Joshua chapter 6, she was spared from God's judgment. Seeing Rahab in Jesus' family tree, guys, makes me really grateful. Grateful because it shows who Jesus came for. She wanted safety, and though she was guilty of sexual sin, the gospel was for her by faith. Her past could be behind her. It could be forgotten. You must know that this is the safety that Jesus brings. Safety from judgment, safety from guilt, safety from shame. I want to go into 2024 being reminded of these things. Do you? She put her life on the line. Can you imagine her friends, her neighbors, some of the family members perhaps, her government, they all believed in other gods. They all disagreed. She put her life on the line by faith. Like Rahab, when we believe in Christ, we're forgiven, we're loved, we're safe in his love. So, tame our long for justice. Jesus is the one who will ultimately make everything right, everything in its place. Rahab longed for safety. And we are safe from the judgment of God when we hide in Jesus. And Ruth, the next woman, longed for redemption. Can you find her in Matthew chapter 1? Which verse is she in? She's in verse 5. And Ruth was a foreigner. A foreigner to another one. Don't you feel like you are inundated by foreigners in this genealogy? Foreigners come here to take your jobs and all that kind of stuff. Foreigners are bad news, aren't they? You just don't like them. Um, they are the ones, I mean, in, in the media, depending on what uh, media outlet you follow, my word, I'm one of the good ones. You probably have all sorts of ideas now of what a Brazilian foreigner is. What do they bring anything good to this country or not? What do they bring only offense in their sermons to different people? Where is Frida? She loves it. Here's what would come to mind if you thought of not a Brazilian foreigner, but a Moabite. After Sodom and Gomorrah are destroyed in the book of Genesis due to their sin, Lot and his two daughters travel to the mountains. His two daughters, who want also to have children, but don't have a husband, get their father drunk, sleep with him, somehow dis having disguised themselves well enough. And one of them gets pregnant with their dad and calls son Moab, which sounds like from father. Now maybe you don't want to hang on to how a nation begins, but it gets worse. This nation in Deuteronomy 23 are so bad that God says this, no Ammonite or Moabite or any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even in the 10th generation. And he says in Deuteronomy 23 verse 6, do not seek a treaty of friendship with them as long as you live, how much less marry them. And yet, someone in the book of Ruth, chapter 1, 
Elimelech takes his family in a time of famine to go to Moab. And his sons get married to Moabites. And when tragedy strikes and the sons die and Elimelech dies and there's only Naomi, a widow, and Ruth and Orpah widows, here's what I want to draw your attention to. Ruth, a foreigner, a Moabite, from an awful nation with a really bad reputation, is the one that says this when her mother-in-law says, forget me, even if I could have kids and they could grow, I mean, they'd never grow up to marry you. I can't do anything more for you. Just leave me. You guys go and marry someone else. You're still young. And Ruth says this in Ruth 1. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. The first time I, I, I read this, I thought this is just a cute poem. But as you read the book of Ruth, this foreigner who heard in a people who were pretty disgusting, it seems, actually meant this because when she meets Boaz, in chapter 2, verse 12, he says this. After seeing all of her hard work in her way of life and how she cared for her mother-in-law, Naomi, may you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Ruth, pretty quickly, was in a place where she learned she didn't have anything anymore. No food, no place to call home, no men to protect her and to look after her. She was vulnerable and she realized she needed a redeemer. Someone who would buy back all of Naomi's land and who would provide for her, marry her, look after her. And Boaz was that man. Like Ruth, I believe she's here because like her, we need to see our need for redemption. I need to see that we can lie to ourselves and think, I'm going into 2024 with a fat bank balance. Uh, maybe I go into it with a family that is healthy and well. Um, my kids are doing well at school. We can trust in all sorts of things, only for in a moment's time, for tragedy to strike, for a sickness, for a bereavement. But as Andy preached only a few days ago, if we realize that we are spiritually poor and Christ, who is rich, has become poor so that we, through him, might become rich, spiritually rich. If we long for that redemption, if we see our need, if we see that we can't trust all these other things, then we find that redemption in Jesus. Unlike everything else that we trust, he doesn't wear out, he doesn't run out, he doesn't abandon us or forsake us. And so we would sing with the people that said to Ruth in Ruth chapter 4, verse 14, God hasn't left us without a redeemer. We have Jesus. But lastly, who is the last woman with a bad reputation? Because we're not going to talk about Mary um, this morning. Bathsheba. Again, it's like he was waiting for it, isn't it? I wonder, if, if you had a box of things where you could put in that box things I'd rather people didn't know about me, I wonder what you would put in that box. As I read about Bathsheba, who isn't even named, how is she referred to here? 
Nobody? Oh, I forgot, because we're not a charismatic church, you don't answer back. Sorry, I forgot about that. But um, yes, the wife of, of Uriah. Because Matthew wants to emphasize, I believe, the sin of David was so horrendous in this, this piece of history that we don't want to forget about it, but we want to see that God is the one that turns that and that brings healing, that turns it around. Whatever I put in that box of things that I don't want people to know about me, I can look at David and go, but he's worse though. <laughs> like he killed somebody. Like he did some things that I haven't done. Lust, abuse of power, adultery, conspiracy to murder, murder, deception, more abuse of power, and the consequences. And yet in 2 Samuel 11 and 12, I think there is encouragement for us. We're not going to have time to recount all of that story. But because, for the sake of time, let me just tell you a few things. At a time when kings went to war, you know the story, you know that piece of history. David sends his generals but doesn't go. He stays home. While he stays home, he's taking a leisurely walk around his palace, he sees a beautiful woman called Bathsheba. There's a picture of her on the kid's um, little booklet this morning. Or an, an imaginative picture, obviously. David inquires about her and says, who is that woman? And on finding out that she has a husband, he doesn't care and says, just bring her to me. You can imagine, could she have said no to the king of Israel? Probably not. Makes love to her. And she says, the only two words that she says which one scholar calls a cry for help, essentially, the only two words that she speaks, I'm pregnant. And long story short, David tries his very best first to deceive her husband Uriah and then to kill him. And he succeeds in killing him. God allows a baby to be born. Nathan the prophet comes to him and tells him a story about somebody who has a whole flock and somebody who has only a little lamb. And the person who has a little lamb just cares for it and cherishes it and loves it. And the one who has a whole flock says, but I want that lamb. And he takes it. And he asks David, what should happen to that man? And David, oh boy, he gets angry. He gets worked up. And he says, this should happen. You know? And Nathan says, well, that's you. You are the guy who's done this. Why am I reminding you of this story? God judges David, for his sin, the baby dies. And we think, how possibly could God turn any of this into anything good at all? Bathsheba was caught in the powerful man's lust, and she couldn't have said no, and she isn't even named in Matthew chapter 1. Can you imagine the shame that she will have felt? You know what I mean by shame as in even when you have no fault, things that have happened to you make you feel ashamed. And in that culture of honor and shame, that woman would have been seen how? The looks she would have had at the palace perhaps. The pain of seeing your first child die because of David's sin. The pain of knowing your husband was murdered out of a desire to cover up his sin. How much guilt did David have after 
he met with the prophet Nathan. Guilt because he actually had committed sins against God. Now, you and I, as much as anybody in this government, if there's a public figure and they commit a sin, we want to hush it, we want to hide it. We don't want to talk about it. We want to do our very best to say, there's no evidence whatsoever. Let's forget about this. And yet the God of the scriptures wants to emphasize the sin of a public figure as if to say, even from this family, I will bring the savior of the world to show I can bring healing, I can bring life out of this darkness. If Jesus included David in his family and allowed him to repent, is there anything that as we look back in 2023, any moment of shame, any occasion for guilt, is there any of that that we can't bring to the same God who loved, forgave David, who brought healing to Bathsheba in a way that sometimes we can't really identify with, can we? Because Old Testament history and culture is a different removed place where, for example, like in the book of Job, she has lost a child. God has given her a child, Solomon Jedediah, the beloved of the Lord, and brought healing. It's very difficult for us to identify with that. But we can identify with this. Jesus invites all of us who have darkness, brokenness, shame, guilt, all kinds of pain to bring to him because he says, my burden is light. I'll exchange my light burden for your heavy one. And he says this, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. And I personally, as we bring things to a close, there was lots of things that I want to leave behind in 2023. Not least, even though I've only had my kids for nine months already, lots of sin and mistakes and outbursts of anger that I want to leave behind in 2023. Lots of vanities and anxieties and worries, sins and their accompanying guilt and shame. I wonder about you. Are there people to forgive? Do you need to be reminded of God's grace? Like the people that we have met, are there injustices? Is there a longing for safety? Perhaps because you haven't yet met Jesus and you are en route for God's judgment and you haven't yet repented. Is it a longing just for healing? I don't know. The Lord knows. He knows you. And he loves you. And my prayer now is that even as we get ready to sing our final song, that you would bring all of these things to God in prayer. Whether you are a Christian and trusting Jesus or not yet, and you want to speak to him perhaps for the first time, I'll give you a moment, and then I'll pray before we sing. Lord Jesus, we thank you that these women that come from a background of brokenness, of pain, 
You have included, Lord Jesus, in your family tree to say that you are the Savior, the Rescuer, the Redeemer, the Healer, the one who brings justice, the one who brings safety for anyone who believes. Lord Jesus, even as we look at that last woman, Bathsheba, in need of healing, in need of new life, we beg, of, we beg of you that for those in our church family, all of us in the different areas of our lives who are in need of your grace, perhaps even as a reminder that as we get anxious about what this next year will bring in your great providence and sovereign hand, that we would remember it's just that, in your grace and in your sovereign hand, that no one and nothing can thwart your plans and that that is our joy and our happiness in you knowing that whatever happens, we are secure and safe in you. And we pray that that would be all of us here and our children. We worship you because it's not on our own efforts that we stand, but on the efforts of the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for our sin and rose for our joy. In his name we pray and thank you. Amen.